Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading this morning from Paul's letter to his young friend, Timothy. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason I received mercy. So that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come and believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Each week from this pulpit I have the privilege of asserting my most strongly held beliefs. And the first one I'm asserting today does not in any way meet the standard of kind of God's eternal truth, but I'm still going to assert my belief that the best writing in the history of network television was the first three seasons of Aaron Sorkin's show, The West Wing. Melissa and I finished watching some other Netflix uh, series recently. We we started scrolling for our next obsession when we came across the West Wing series that first aired in 1999. Now, we watched the series two other times before, but it had been long enough, so we started back over. So, this past week, we watched an episode. We're up there on the sofa with the remote watching the episode where the long debate and storyline was whether or not President Bartlett should step in and offer a stay of execution for a man who was facing the death penalty. And throughout the episode, both voices weighing in, over and over there were voices impressing on him the reasons the government should not be on the side of taking life. The government has no business taking somebody's life. But then the competing interest, the other side of the argument, was that 70% of the nation was in favor of capital punishment. So how is the president going to land on this? Well, at the 11th hour, the president's childhood priest, played by Carl Malden, comes into the Oval Office as counselor in the final moments of this drama. And my assumption informed by thousands of shows with a final last-second save, 
right? Like the guy who, the boyfriend who shows up just before the airplane takes off or the bomb that gets diffused with seven seconds left. I'm just sure the president's going to pick up the phone, call off the execution, seconds to spare. Instead, a couple of minutes after midnight, Press Secretary C.J. Craig walks in with a folded piece of paper informing the president that the execution has taken place. His priest, who throughout the whole scene has been calling him Mr. President, he reaches into his pocket, he pulls out a ministerial uh, stole, puts it around his shoulders and says, Jeb, not Mr. President, Jeb, Do you want me to hear your confession? The president says, yes, Father. He kneels beside the chair of the priest and says, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And the episode ends. It struck me at the end of that episode that I was ordained to the gospel ministry in May of 1985 34 years of ordained ministry, I can count on one hand the number of people who have said to me in any form, not just formal confession, in any form of confession, I am in need of God's forgiveness because I am a sinner. Sin, it seems to me, is rather out of vogue. Sin had its day. There was a day when people talked about sin. They carried the shame of their transgressions, sackcloth and ashes, wanted forgiveness, but felt so unworthy of God's forgiveness. One of my devotional disciplines is to read old sermons. I know that sounds like a preacher nerd thing to do, but I like old sermons. I like the the arguments and the development and the language And I've got volumes of old sermons in my study, famous ones from people like Fosdick and Spurgeon. But I have lesser-known collections like the one Jane Branch gave me. She gave me a collection of sermons by her father-in-law, James Orson Branch, copyright 1909. I read through those things. Anyway, there's a recurring theme in older sermons that I rarely hear in modern preaching. And it's about sin. Now, it's not the pulpit-pounding Baptist caricature, but pastoral sermons where the preacher is trying to impress on the listener that you are not too far from God. God will accept you back. God's love is within reach. I know that you feel the shame of what you've done. You feel unworthy of God's forgiveness. But God stands ready to reclaim your life and forgive you and save you. But I don't know what happened to pull sin out of the conversation. I just don't hear much anymore shame and sorrow in the culture. I hear justifications for behavior, hear lots of rationalizations for bad choices, but rarely do I hear anybody say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I, I don't know what the chicken and the egg is here. Did the conversation about sin go away because preachers stopped preaching on sin? 
Or did the preaching subside because there are so few people left who feel like they've actually ever done anything that wrong? I'm a little heavy on uh, Catholic priest stories today. But it made me think of the scene from the Bruce, Bruce Marshall's novel, To Every Man a Penny. The, the main character in this book is a Catholic priest. young priest named Gaston, he needs to hear the confession of a young German soldier who has been sentenced to death. They're sitting together. The soldier confesses, confesses his passion for women, and he confesses the numerous arduous adventures of his life. Numerous and arduous. Y'all are kind of getting the drift, right, of the confession. The priest then explains that the soldier must repent to obtain forgiveness. And that if he repents, he will be absolved. But the soldier answers, how can I repent? It was something that I enjoyed. And if I had the chance, I would do it again. Even now, how can I repent? I honestly think I am more likely to hear that response from most people I know than to hear someone lie in a puddle of shame and beg the forgiveness of God because they had betrayed God's image within them. I also hear a lot of people's justifying, rationalizing, positioning their behavior as though God grades on the curve, right? Well, compared to some of the girls in my sorority, compared to some of the guys I play golf with, I'm a saint, you know. Does sin matter? Does your betrayal of God's design and God's hope for your life weigh anything? Should our selfish actions cause us shame, real shame, or no big deal? No worse than anybody else? And is asking forgiveness of God just kind of like a transaction, like, like going to the dry cleaners? No biggie, I got a stain, go get it out. I confess, God forgives, no big deal. Or do we feel the weight of this kind of betrayal? Maybe you'll resonate with the famous line of W.H. Alden. He said, I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirably arranged. Well, compared to the escapades of the soldier in Bruce Marshall's book, the Apostle Paul doesn't have a very scandalous list of sins. But Paul does feel the weight and the shame of it. Betraying God is no small matter to Paul. Sin really matters And God's mercy is no small prize. Remember that Paul wrote in another letter to the church that was meeting in Rome. He said, the wages of sin is death. 
So turning our back on God's hope is a serious matter for the apostle. But in today's letter, Paul is writing to a young mentee named Timothy. Paul is in near the end of his preaching career. Paul has an AARP card in his wallet. He is passing along the wisdom. He's about to retire. He's investing in the next generation of Christian leaders. By the way, I have an aside about that. This isn't related to the sermon exactly, so I'll step over here. Here's the aside. If you are one of those long in the faith, seasoned leaders of this church, might you consider that model here? I mean, there are young, promising leaders, people we need to be developing for Christian leadership for this church and beyond. You might look around. You might find somebody you want to invite to lunch, have over to the house, start investing in, become a prayer partner for, become a mentor with. There's no telling what kind of invigoration might happen for us here if some of you were to invest each week praying for, meeting with a younger leader. As I said, it's not about the Sermon on Mercy, but I'm not charging extra. I mean, it was just, you got that part for free. We'll come back to the sermon now. Paul is telling this testimony to this young man he's mentoring. And he tells the story of God's transforming mercy in his life. And as he starts to tell it, it moves him to elation. As I said, Paul's list of sins won't get big ratings on the Jerry Springer show. But Paul tells Timothy this. Formerly, I was a blasphemer. I was irreverent. I was despised disrespectful toward sacred things. In fact, I persecuted and harassed Christ followers, and sometimes my mistreatment of Christians even turned to violence. But I received mercy. Jesus came to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner you've ever seen. And for that reason, I received mercy. To the king of all the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Mercy. And Paul tells this testimony to this young mentee, and at the center of his faith story is his own sin and God's great, great mercy. If you have the courage, the courage to face and feel your betrayal of God, then you have the chance to experience God's great gift of mercy. Now, some of you might be wondering, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Well, grace is receiving favor you did not deserve. Mercy is not getting the punishment you do deserve. There's a story about a politician who was getting his official photograph done, the photograph proofs for his portrait. The proofs came back. He's going through the proofs. He storms back into the photographer's office and says, this picture does not do me justice. And the photographer said, 
Sir, with a face like yours, you don't need justice, you need mercy. (laughs) Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now, we do hear about grace in church. Grace has not gone out of vogue. We often point to the favor of God that comes to us beyond anything we deserve. But we don't talk much of mercy. Because to talk of mercy is to first declare that we do deserve the punishment of our betrayal. That the wages of sin is death and that we count count ourselves among the class of sinners for whom Christ died. Now, somebody tell my friend next door, Monsignor McNamee, at the cathedral, somebody please tell him that in this one sermon, I have already told two stories about priests, and now I'm about to tell a story about Pope Francis. That's three in one sermon. (laughs) I got claps from from the Catholic section. Wonderful. I love that. On the morning of Sunday, March 17th, 2013, Pope Francis celebrated his first Mass as the newly elected Pope. He's elected on Wednesday. This is Sunday. As you can imagine, the Church of St. Anna in the Vatican was packed with worshipers. And he says to the gathered crowd, the message of Jesus is mercy. For me, and I say this with all humility, it is the Lord's strongest message. And then later, 2016, he wrote a book entitled, The Name of God is Mercy. It includes this passage. Jesus said he came not for those who were good, but for the sinners. He did not come for the healthy who do not need the doctor, but for the sick For this reason, we can say that mercy is God's identity card. God of mercy, merciful God. For me, this really is the Lord's identity. Apparently, the Apostle Paul feels the same way about mercy. Because in this letter to Timothy, he almost sings his gratitude That through Jesus Christ, God has shown mercy. God did not punish with the penalty that he deserved. His life was full of betrayal, selfishness, sin. Paul deserved penalty for turning his back on the image of God within him. But it was mercy that made the difference. To the king of all the ages, immortal, invisible, only God, the honor and glory forever and ever he sings. And the good news today is that Paul's celebration is a party you can get in on. But it comes with a price. To experience this marvelous gift of mercy, it begins with being honest enough to say that you need it. Paul said, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And it was the brave recognition that he had betrayed God with his life choices and that he needed forgiveness that led to his experience of mercy. 
Now, I know it's gone out of favor. But what if we were humble enough and honest enough to look squarely at our lives and admit our own failure? What if we stopped all the rationalizations and justifications and sidesteps and comparisons and just looked quietly and honestly at the dark stains on our soul and the way our choices have hurt God and hurt those we love? You and I are sinners. And since we were last together, we have done things that were clearly a betrayal of God's will. And we have failed to do things that were clearly a part of God's hope. But the name of God is mercy. And the scriptures declare that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. And in the Apostle Paul's experience, his encounter with God's mercy led to gratitude and benediction and elation to the king of all the ages, immortal, invisible. I believe that your experience of confession and the gift of God's mercy might might lend itself to the same relief and delight that Paul encountered. Would you at least be willing to try? Sometime this afternoon or early this week to find a quiet place and a quiet hour to just be honest with God, to confess your sin, to declare your shame, giving a chance that in that exchange you might receive God's signature gift of mercy and the elation that comes with it. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.